Each week, we listen to great technology leaders come on this podcast and share their advice. Now it's time to apply it. We've created a leadership program made specifically for technologists. Watch each week as your people take action and apply this advice and watch it all through leadership analytics. Visit leaderbits.io to enroll your directors and VPs in the highest quality leadership training program in the galaxy. That's leaderbits.io. Today we are talking to Dan Hebda, the Chief Strategy Officer at Mega, and we discuss how to become useful, trusted, and influential, the importance of consistently delivering tangible value, and avoiding complexity when cleaning up simple problems. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Hey, there he is. Welcome to Awesomeville. <laughs> Thanks. That's where you live? Yep, that's where I live. You see it over there? Oh, yeah. What, what state are you in? I'm in Massachusetts. Oh. Uh, the sign is a, is a joke from my Parisian colleagues for Americans using the word awesome too frequently. <laughs> really? Yep. I love it, man. I'll say awesome to that. <laughs> and the trees are beautiful though they're changing yeah the trees are nice they're changing color it's fall where are you located we're in florida okay so you don't have the same uh, type of seasonal change no but my wife and i we go up to like blairsville georgia murphy north carolina and we see the leaves change we go hiking oh, very cool yeah yeah so very cool. i saw you you write some articles on cio that's awesome man yeah, we, we had a few going there for a while. They're changing their format, so some of those are, are going to disappear. But uh, we had an opportunity for a while to post some, some articles up there on transformation. Nice. You enjoy writing a lot? Uh, writing is maybe not my thing. Thinking, reading, consuming, and dialoguing, sure. Thinking, reading, consuming, dialoguing. All right. I got it. So you're like a, you're like a process filter. You like consume and then communicate. Yeah, and that's where it fits my role as the strategy officer. It's kind of taking the pulse of the market, checking what's going on with the analysts, the industry in general, and processing it, help direct the company and the product in the right direction. So you provide that as a service to a company? So I'll say like I'm in this industry, and then you come in, and you figure out what's going on, and then you come back to me and tell me what's going on? Uh, a little bit. So the company I work for, Mega, does that. My role in particular for the organization is the chief strategy officer for Mega. So I provide the input to my own company in terms of the direction, the product evolution, et cetera, uh, that we need to address in order to hit market needs and hopefully stay ahead of the curve. Okay. So you're the internal version of what your company does. Yeah, to some extent. I think what, what the company does a little bit broader than my role by and of itself uh, but yes, uh, are you familiar with Mega at all and what, what we cover? I'm not. I've read the description of what Mega is, and it just it has got a cool name. Like, it doesn't sound small. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and we even have Mega.com, which is pretty great. Uh, and I, I get funny looks when I tell people, you know, Mega.com, and they associate it to the individual out of, uh, what is it, Australia or what have you. We've got the New Zealand Mega website that was known for peer-to-peer um, -peer secured uh, conversation and file sharing. Oh. A little bit to get out of the government eye. So uh, we got a number of calls on him. 
No, Meg is a software company, and we focus on essentially uh, architecture, designing, and that goes from strategy capabilities, process, technology, systems, infrastructure, risk, and all of it goes together. So part of what we do is similar to my role, where we can help with direction, strategy, et cetera. Uh, but much of it goes into a lower level detail, uh, looking at applications, which ones are healthy, providing the functionality needed, which ones aren't, and then helping the organization set a course to a better, healthier application portfolio and, and general architecture. That's awesome. So you help companies that both build software, they build software too, some of them, right? Oh, they can be anything. We typically deal with Fortune 1000. And so it can be financial institutions, can be manufacturing. It, it, really, we don't have a vertical that we're stuck in. And uh, all of these companies, in particular, the larger organizations, they end up with challenges due to their size. So when you're that large and you've got such a technological presence, you know, I have customers who measure their application inventory in the thousands. And when you've got to make sure that they're running, they're delivering the functionality for your customers, whether they're internal or external, that the integrations are functioning well, the data is properly encrypted and secured, that you're not violating any regulation, for example, with GDPR, the California Privacy and Protection Rules, you know, that scale just comes inherently with complications. And we help them address that through architecture, essentially designing how all of that should work. That's amazing. So sometimes you write code, other times you just write process for how code should be written? Yeah, yeah, that, that's one way to look at it. Now myself, I, I no longer write code, but the customer, let's say, you, you'll have the app development level and we help design the particular, we're not going to do the development. We can help design the application, the application architecture. More and more with the trend of the low code, no code, et cetera, we're looking kind of at services that are a bit encapsulated and just how they're architected to fit together to deliver a certain purpose. And then we're doing that all the way up to the strategy and business level. This way you can have the business and the organization and the IT having a conversation with a common dialogue. Uh, so typically we're at what's referred to as capabilities in terms of the conversation. We're discussing capabilities. They can be broad sweeping business level capabilities. They can be detailed technological capabilities. But really what are the capabilities needed for the business to achieve whatever transformation it's going through? And then from there, you can decompose it as you stated into what are the processes that may be human executed? What are the processes that may be automated or run by certain systems? What services maybe need to be brought online and how are they going to integrate with the rest of the ecosystem? How do all the pieces fit together? And then how does the information essentially flow across those systems in order to deliver the right outputs to the right people at the right time in a secure, regulatory compliant, et cetera, all the tick box that you need manner? That's amazing. It's like you go into the, the messy, entangled wires and, and you undo everything, understand the environment, clean it up, and then you provide information like going forward, how to do things going forward. Because you have to first understand it when you get a new, new customer, right? Yeah, exactly. And we used to use the analogy of a spaghetti. So the tangle of wires is go. the same, yeah. same notion. Yeah, exactly. You go and you have to understand. Now, there's a debate in the industry, the depth and degree to which that understanding should begin with. And so if you're at a, a Fortune 1000 organization, you don't need to understand every aspect of the entirety of the organization. You'll pick areas that are problem areas, and you'll look to kind of dissect that section of the wire nest, if you will, untangle that piece, get that straightened out, and then move on to the next piece and move on to the next piece. So you really want to ensure in what we do that you're always addressing real problems, providing value, and then growing and expanding it and not getting stuck on one knot that maybe you sit on for a while and not delivering the value and the outcome. So it's really about visible, tangible benefit 
delivered consistently. And, and if you're not delivering that, then you start to fall behind. And you can imagine with the pace of technology these days, you know, that, that curve of how long you have to deliver some value is shrinking every day. Yeah. No, that, that's beautiful. It sounds like a lot of fun. Like it sounds like in another life, a job I would work, right? <laughs> it, it, it really, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing right now. It's one of those areas and jobs where you get to kind of, uh, get exposure to a lot of different technology and a lot of different industry without having to deep dive into each one where you might get consumed by it. And so we have companies that are facing all sorts of digital challenges today in their transformation. And some are simply trying to clean up legacy. And that, that's a pretty common one that's across the board. But there's many that are trying to really stay away from being disrupted or themselves to come up with a disruption and looking at the emerging technology to say, okay, what might this mean to my business? And then what would the implications be in the architecture? And so if we take a generic one like a blockchain or some form of distributed ledger, okay, there's a lot of buzz around that, especially in the financial industry. Well, the architects that we work with, they're going to look at it and say, okay, first, what capabilities could it deliver to the business? Okay, so the immutable distributed ledger, that could be one just to oversimplify. Okay, but now also, what would it mean, what would it take for me to introduce that technology to our organization, knowing the technological components we already have, the constraints, if you will, the legacy that needs to be managed, the different interfaces that need to be handled, what would it mean to fit into the architecture? And then as we do that and we present these ideas to the business, what risks or constraints might inherently exist in this distributed ledger? So in some capacity, you might say the ability to scale could be one of those concerns. Or does it address or is it accepted by a certain regulatory body? as uh, sufficiently secure and what have you. So the architects are looking ahead and then communicating back with the business to either answer the business's question where sometimes uh, someone from the business side might say, I need this ability. And they might say, well, here's the technology for it. Or the architects themselves could say, hey, you know what? I was researching a new technology and I see a digital opportunity that we could introduce to the business to help us stay ahead of the competition. So right now where you get to kind of touch on all of these different challenges that these large organizations, and it's not limited to large, but they all have that problem of scale. Um, when you really start to get into it, it is an exciting job, an exciting industry to be in, and it's going through its own transformation, of course, as most are. So yeah, it's something you should look into. Uh, I think you'd like it. <laughs> well, I mean, like, yeah, I, I already know I, I would love it, right? Because it's just like, it's my style. I've gone around and I've been writing code since age eight. I'm in my early thirties now. I've gone into multiple industries from insurance to retirement planning and financial forecasting all the way up to sports, like in pretty much everything in between. And then now in, you know, leadership development. So like I, I enjoy being able to, I guess, repel into an industry, understand the, figure out what the important parts are, the meaningful parts of those businesses are without getting like too tied into how percentages calculate in fixed index annuities, yep. right? <laughs> you don't need to go that low. Uh, but, and, and then, you know, providing value. It's, it's often so, um, so right in front of you about where the easy, like low hanging value fruit is. And it's the engineer in us that makes it more complicated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, many times that's true. And the low-hanging fruit opportunities are often missed even by those uh, same groups where 
when you create the type of initiative that I'm describing and they finally look at it, the degree of low-hanging fruit and savings adjustment corrective action that they can do rapidly often surprises them because they overestimate the complexity to clean up the, the simple thing. And so we've seen that before where organizations said, oh, man, you know, it's going to take me X years and I've got to do all these heavy, complex things of measurements and calculations. And then we start the process where it starts with a conversation and a review of kind of what's there. And they go, oh, wait, I can fix that. I can remove that. I could change that. And as soon as you start bringing visibility, they can make some of those low-hanging fruit changes quickly. Uh, from there, you can actually change the conversation where it gets really interesting to the, just the way the world is changing. So I have a friend who's in the insurance industry. They, they cover automobiles. And he says, look, we're watching autonomous vehicles. Who owns the accident when that occurs? And what is car insurance? That's his job at the moment is to define what will automotive insurance be in five to 10 years when the driver isn't at fault. What are you insuring? This is the conversation we were having last week. Like we were, we were, uh, it wasn't on the podcast. I think it was with some friends. We were just hanging out being nerds and we were, we were having the conversation of, do you think they're smart enough to be thinking about that right now? Like do, we know that I know a lot, I know a lot of the old ones, right. And some have an old mentality, but you know, I, like I said, I got my start. One of my starts was in insurance technology and rating algorithms. And uh, I was like, I wonder if they're smart enough up there to be thinking that far ahead, but they are. Some of them are at least. They are. They are at least some of them are. And, and again, part of the conversation, not all of it, of course, in the business, but part of the dialogue is with the architecture group to look across and say, understand the technology, understand the business, understand the nuance, and design both the model for what will work and then the ability for the organization to support it, which of course today always includes some level of technology. Yeah, because like, all right, I'm an insurance company. I see the shift happening. All of a sudden, I'm going to be identifying the key players and how we can provide some sort of specialized policy so that Uber's fleet can be insured by us, right? Like, I want to figure out who my customer is going to be in a decade. I mean, if I was that, if I was that large, right? I mean, I think who's who's my customer going to be in the decade? How is it going to shift? And then how can I bring them value today? Because you know, when the Ubers were coming about those were extraordinarily customized insurance policies that were very difficult to get. It's actually prevented some of the innovation. Yeah, no, exactly. So the way the transformation goes on in these different industry, there's the business dialogue. And when you imagine what you described and say, okay, there's a shift, let's say we want to cover the entire Uber fleet. Then what we break it down is the capability language I described and say, okay, if that's the case, even before we get to the literal technology and our processes, generally speaking, then what capabilities do we need to possess in order to enable us to provide insurance for that entire fleet, to attract that customer, to retain that customer, and to deliver to that customer in a way they expect. Maybe even in a way that will set the expectation because we want to get ahead of the curve. And then as we describe those capabilities, which is just high language, high level language, just conversational speech of what's required, then you can start drilling into them. And say, okay, for this particular capability, then how do we expect that to happen? Kind of splitting what we want to do from how it's going to work. What technologies would be required? What kind of interfaces might be necessary? What's the experience that the customer is going to go through? And does it meet their expectation? And so you can drive that dialogue further in a way that, again, begins with a conversation that works for both executive business and IT 
as opposed to being a squarely IT conversation or a uniquely business conversation where they're maybe not on the same page. I love it. You're outcome driven and it's like you're a technology architecture think tank. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you help create the think tank side. So yes, it's outcome driven architecture and that's actually what the industry is calling it. So great. No way. Uh, is it really? Tech- yeah, oh, the business outcome just, is the slight label. So it's business outcome driven oh, enterprise okay. architecture and complete, but it's it's you're you're super close right there. And and that's it. The think tank side is that we as a company don't try and become experts in the customer's industry. We work with them and say, You guys know your business. We know how to apply these methods and principles and teach you how to do it. We have tooling to support it to enable them to create their own think tank that we continue to support. And so, yeah, the notion you have is, is dead on. Nice. Well, I like it. Like I said, it's, <laughs> there's, there's some businesses, I'd say out of, the, out of all, like we've done like 200 episodes, I'd say maybe about 10 of them that where I'm talking to the people and I'm just like, oh man, like that's, that's, <laughs> the, uh, that's something I would do with my life. It's, it's really cool because it fits my style, right? Of like how my, like I don't have to change how I think to be good at that. No, what you described in your background too is that the architectural scope has gotten to a point where it's so diverse. You need to be conversant in strategy. As mentioned, that capability tier, you've got to get down to the processes, the application layer, the services layer, the infrastructure layer. You've got to be able to look across all of it for data and information, flow, exchange, storage, et cetera, as well as risk. So you've got a lot of different perspectives, dimensions, and that seems to fit what you've described in terms of the diversity of liking like not that single narrow view, but a broad view. It's it's really a, I find it very interesting. Oh, Most yeah. people have never heard of it. Uh, it's labeled again, business outcome driven EA or enterprise architecture. <laughs> and um, I've, it's, I talked to, um, I was on a honeymoon at one point years ago and I'm a horseback riding my wife and the, the lady leading the trail. She goes, oh, so what do you do? So I am enterprise architect. I work in enterprise architecture. She goes, oh, my son's an architect too. He was doing soil samples over at this other place. No, I love not it. that, but just, just let it go. You just go, yep. It's that thing a lot of people haven't heard of, but when they do, it tends to uh, excite people. It, it, it really is cool. Yeah, well, there'll definitely be a large, this is not an industry that's getting smaller. Like it's getting larger. No, it's, it's raising up too. Yeah, it's raising up the complexity, the speed of change, the need to focus on the interfaces between technology more and more and create this ecosystem that everybody's dependent upon requires a design. The main shift in enterprise architecture over the last few years is the design used to be on get a lot of stuff heavy right up front. So the big things are going to, they're going to last a long time. And so you got to make those important decisions. Of course, that's no longer the reality today. So now it's how can I make it so that it can change rapidly? How can I make it that different smaller pieces can be exchanged for new ones that deliver new capabilities rapidly. And then what's required underpinning all that to make that work? How do we make that and enable that to happen? Isn't that amazing though, how this, this completely pairs well with the progression in technology, even on a low level with how we design, like with the whole concept of, you know, when you first started talking, you said, we make these big decisions up front. In my head, what was flashing is purchasing internal servers, right? Whereas now we just purchase like cloud servers, right? Yep. Uh, like we're all on AWS or some instance. And then eventually we're, we're, we're moving even serverless concept where we don't even have to consider, like have consideration for them. And I, I love it, but it's, 
the way the way that it progresses is just oh it's so exciting that we're in the future <laughs> it, it really is remarkable and and as you just described and i fully agree with the examples you laid out that's part of the reason that this abstract dialogue goes on it's not only to have the conversation with the business but the other side is it's no longer about the literal server virtual or serverless it's about what is the general capability or function that needs to exist and then somebody else can make the final decision on where it lands, how it's deployed, or what the architecture is as you go down the stream. So we start with the big picture, and we refine it, we refine it, refine it. Some of your legacy stuff, and we have this with customers, some of these workhorses are still old mainframes on site, and they're leaving them alone for now. They wrap them so they can interface to them, but they leave them alone for the moment. They're innovating, creating new services, new technologies to meet the new and or set the new expectation for the customers. And then when need be, they go back and they're modernizing and moving them forward, and the options just continue to grow. So today, the architects are not looking to say, what's going to be my long-term decision here? They're going to say, I need to get this capability up. I need to provide this functionality to the business so they can operate. And I need to do it in a way that if they pivot to, to react to the market or to anticipate the market, then technologically, we can support that pivot in an efficient, effective, cost Etc. managed way. The mentality of sh has like drastically shifted. So early 2000s, it was build something cool. All the engineers, everyone's focused on that. All the engineers, you would just burn money and time just building it to be nerd cool because it was so far disconnected from the business. And yeah. now we've, we've shifted into this new age where it's becoming, I'm feeling it even in the engineering culture where it's build something valuable. Let's just, let's just, I think everyone, we almost got exhausted from building stuff that didn't get used. And now we're just like, let's do the least amount of, of building to bring someone value so that I at least get that emotional, that dopamine hit of being useful to somebody. That, that, that's, it's really funny, this dialogue, because you're hitting on some of our key phrases in the industry. And one of the key steps we have is that the architecture initiative's first step is useful. You've got to define useful. If you don't have a concrete audience stakeholder and can establish measurable useful, then, then you're not going to succeed. And also to your point of the timescale, early 2000s, we ran into this notion, just as you described, the IT groups were out looking for cool things. Whether they built them or bought them, it was the shiny new thing. They wanted something cool, but there was not enough consideration for the benefit to the business. It was more about how cool it was. So there was kind of a frustration. Business and IT were separate. And the business would say, yeah, these IT guys are taking these things. Sure, they look cool to them. In the early 2000s, it wasn't the same shared understanding of technology. But we don't see where it fits. So it shifted then from there to the progression was the business really should set the direction. And so it became that, hey, IT, stop pursuing the cool stuff. Listen to the business. They're going to tell you where they need to go and you enable it. Okay, then we shift further. Now IT is business. Business is IT. There can't be a business without T, without IT in a general sense. And so it's kind of come back to where that business IT relationship is the business side says, okay, we need that cool stuff again. But now we want you to find cool stuff with a lens toward benefit to the business. And so it's it's a different dialogue. It's a very interesting dialogue where it's driving this massive rapid technological change and evolution but with that lens of how is it helping the business, and in particular because the business strategy is customer-obsessed, how is it addressing the need of the customer? 
And so that's really that evolution. And again, it matches to your explanation as well. We see the same thing in our space. And it's really exciting at this point in time. It's like setting the context of the cool stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. It's like, okay, we need the cool stuff. And we need the cool stuff even more because not only has the business expanded in their awareness of IT, but of course the market, the customers, the IT experience and expectation of customers is dramatic. And so, yes, we need that cool stuff, but we need it delivered in such a way that differentiates our business, adds value to the customer and their experience in interacting with us. And so, yeah, let's drive more of this. And that's where the speed is just unbelievable right now. And it's a wild time to be participating in it. Yeah. So I, I'm going to share with you a little bit about what we're doing because I think it's a good fit in this conversation. But we we did the podcast, right? And then had a running, been doing it over a year now. And we found this need for moving individual contributors into team leads. When they become team leaders as technologists, they have to learn how to be a leader, right? More than just writing code all day. And so people were, guests were coming on the show and they said, hey, we hear you talking about leadership and this technology and this growth. And we need to teach our leaders that, like, how do we do that? And I'm like, I don't know, like Google for your answer. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I looked around and I didn't find like a whole lot. There was some like content libraries or whatnot, but it wasn't, all, it was just like average stuff. So I, I spent like 10 days and I took, you know, all these principles of building and adding value I built this MVP in 10 days and we deployed it to, to a couple people who are interested. And then it, it did really well. We did, just did these like little bits of technology leadership and we ended up calling it leader bits, like bits of leadership. Very and, cool. Um, yeah. But then, but then what happened for me was I just kind of like fell into that a little bit just as like a, pro, a small little fun project. And it ended up we're like a company now with, with employees and people and stuff. So it's very exciting, but the the thing was is like all these things that we're talking about i've i've been applying them to my business and it's so useful like now every single feature we build there's like a story of how that brings the customer tangible value <laughs> it's that's it's weird fantastic i didn't have that approach before that's funny the synergy is wild yeah it's remarkable and and i see the same thing we see the need for leadership guidance related to it for the same notion the business and it becoming really together that that leadership needs to fully understand and embrace how it functions, how it works. But yeah, it, it's, uh, I'm really intrigued at the way in which you've picked up on the different aspects of enterprise architecture and even the tag night of outcome driven architecture. It couldn't be more perfect. That's one of our challenges. It's called an outcome based approach. And is <laughs> they, they hear from, um, I think that one's with the, uh, CTO of, uh, William Sonoma, uh, Yazir. Okay. And uh, he's talking about an outcome-driven approach and we're having a conversation about it. And then we give them a way to exercise it. So it's like this, uh, like a challenge. And then they do the exercise and then that way they learn something and they did something because I found myself uh, listening to Audible a lot. And I'll listen, you, do you like Audible? No, I don't use it, no. No? You just read regular Maybe I'll have to start. Yeah. Oh. Well, videos, uh, Ted, Ted videos and regular oh, read, yes. yeah. Ted, I'm a big fan of Ted videos. But yeah, so I, I just would find myself watching these TED videos or Audible and there's like 12 good ideas in the video, but then I don't do anything with it. And so then it's just entertaining. <laughs> like I didn't, it's like reading the rules of a, of a game. Like you didn't actually make a move in the game. You just learned about how the game was played. And so for, for myself and then for others, I figured 
well, let's, let's build this content, but let's build it in a, in a way that you learn something, but only enough to do something. So it's like a two minute right. video with a one minute challenge. It's like three minutes. And then you, we structure the challenge that you do something within the next seven minutes. So it's a 10 minute experience. But yeah, I just, you're, you're nerdy with, with, uh, user experience and the way that a product would be structured and developed. And this, this is like a perfect example of interviewing the customer and only building what they need. And the entire, nothing in the product is like Joel. It's all just like, I'm the middleman between the customer and what they want. I love it. Have you heard of the value prop canvas? No. Tell me about it. So, so value prop canvas is out of a group, I believe called the strategizer. Uh, I would check them out. And they've got a model that speaks to what you're looking at here, where essentially when you're looking to define products, you want to specify what is essentially the potential, the gains, the pain relief that it looks to provide and align it to the different personalities or personas of customers that might leverage it and what their pains they're feeling or the gains that they need to achieve are. And it's just a different way of dialoguing, very similar to what you're describing. So I would check it out because it might give you some semantic structure to exactly what you're already doing. I love the small scale of what you described, three minutes. That's very uh, digestible. Very much big fan of that. So it sounds great. I'm going to have to look into it. Oh, yeah. Like, we're, I'm just excited because, like, I feel useful, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. It's back to the, the building code for um, – and it was funny because I, I wrote the first version, but then I, had, I hired a, a full-time engineer, Nick, and he said the coolest thing about this project is people are on it. Because apparently for the past like four years, his work has just been, I mean, the MVP space is like still really hot for building something with people just spending their money trying to build something. And then they get lost in that. You know, there's this old story in the United States. Um, I can't remember where it was. I think it was like in North Carolina. There was this woman, she was very wealthy and her husband has passed away. So she would have construction going on in her property all the time just to have people there. And they would build like staircases to nowhere. <laughs> have you heard I of this? Where you're going with this. Yeah, I, I don't know that story, but may, yeah, but I see where you're going with it. <laughs> yeah, she, yeah, she was like scared of being alone, so she would have these construction workers over at her house. So if you go to that, you can go to it. Like you can go to it. It's it. I know it's on the East Coast, and you're on you're in Boston area, or you're in Massachusetts, right? That's what you. Said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's around like East Coast, and there's just like. I saw a video of it, like staircases, like every, you open up a closet and there's like a, like seven steps of a staircase right into just like the <laughs> wall. And she'd just say, I didn't care what you do, just build stuff. And, and for me, that's like the perfect analogy to some of these applications. I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. So let me go, go back to that method I mentioned with useful. Cause I think it's, it's going to follow the progression and I expect you've already made it to the next tier. It's a very simple progression. We try and teach as it relates to architecture. And because the, the term or the phrase enterprise architecture is not as well recognized, when you go into an organization and say, well, we're going to help you set up this practice, there's, we, we start off as noisy. People go, I don't really know what that is. It's this new thing. I've heard of it before. and Maybe I don't like what I heard before. Our first step is useful, and that's a requirement. If you're not useful, you don't go anywhere. You've got to become useful. As you become useful, and it sounds, as you mentioned, that you're at that level, you then look to become trusted. So as people consume a few of these uh, bites or bits that you've got going on, right? They go through them, they, they hit the value, they, they like the outcome, they go, wow, I'm gonna go after more, and they start seeking it out more, and it's a trusted thing. I'm going to go to that Ooh, place. It's like Simon Sinek, yeah. As you get to that, you jump to influential. 
And, and that's where you can really start driving changes. And for us at the architecture tier, that's when we have the architects part of the conversation to help drive capability change, to help drive strategy within an organization. But it, it aligns to your progression as well. And I wouldn't doubt again that you're already on that path, moving beyond useful and getting up to trust and influential. That's very cool. No, that's, you know, what I started doing was um, just taking testimonials from like, I want to be like, if you have a product that's not useful, that's a huge problem. Your business is going away. So I, yeah. I make a point <laughs> to spend time with my customers and I get on video calls and I say, look, what, what did you like? What didn't you like? How could it be better? And then they tell me, and then I meet with them again in six weeks and I show them the, they experienced the improvements already. And uh, we go over that. And it's literally just like, over and over and over and then we get the video testimonials and we just put them on the website and it's just like i i had uh we did us uh our first round of financing and uh so anyways it was very so at the at the presentation i'm just like i did some basic here's our financials projection and i just played testimonial videos <laughs> nice <laughs> I, was like, I was like here's someone else who loves it here's someone else who loves it and i'm like i'm not sure exactly if this is how normal presentation pitches go but <laughs> i just want you to if you walk away with anything today know that we have cash flow or we have revenue and people love what we do and my job is going to be just doing that more so yeah yeah i love it i yeah. love it you you have to first of all did you come up with this useful trusted influential because it's like brilliant not me personally, but a colleague at Mega had come up with that. Okay. We're going to like give you a shout out. That's going to be like a content clip of you talking about like useful. That's just so good, dude. It, it, and it reminds, you know, Simon Sinek, you, you have to have come across him. You like Ted talks. Yeah. 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 Dude, he is, isn't he amazing? Fantastic. I love his, I love his thoughts, but okay. So you are, you, have you written a book? Has Mega put out a book yet? Cause this is, this is like good stuff. We haven't. So as a software company, we do offer services as well. We don't have a book out, though some of the employees are working on more white papers, research notes, and there is an employee working on a book on his own. And so we may see content more of this coming out shortly. But in the meantime, we can put up white papers and other on the change, in particular, the architecture and agile world, kind of what that means as, as companies try and take these principles and really scale them across agile initiatives. So there's, there is a lot of change going on, a lot of research going on, and we're happy to share some of that. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Cause part of that's part of your business is, is, is creating this stuff. But like, if you own the standard, that's a really good place to be. Oh yeah. 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 So, so you mentioned there's like tools and, and how would I learn more? So like, I guarantee you, I'm going to get so many questions about this because it's, this is not an overtalked topic. If anything, it's under, it's underserved. Right. How are people, are there good books? Are there some real thought leaders in this space? Where, where can people go to get more of this? See, that, that's an interesting question. There, there are different uh, avenues to learn more about enterprise architecture. Some of them are a bit behind. And so, of course, you could start on our website, mega.com. Uh, you can find information there. Uh, I'm happy to have people reach out to me as well, and I can help direct them to other sources where they might have a larger stream of information to keep the conversation going. Uh, but they're, they're starting to show up. A few colleges are starting to offer this as courses. Of course, the analysts do oh. research on enterprise architecture. So that's, that's starting to spread as well. So there are different avenues. But because it is going through a change, you, you do have to check some of the sources to see where they're at on that progression and if they're on the kind of the modern edge or if they're a little bit behind. 
And so again, in the meantime, I'm happy to, to receive questions, et cetera, and, and dialogue with people. No problem. I vote you do a book. Like, you, <laughs> like the way you talk, like it's, it's beautiful. Like I want to, I would, I would listen to you for more than a book. I, <laughs> your information so good. And then what that will, what will happen is that will allow for colleges to teach good information that you have to the next generation now you get the added benefits growing it's just got to it's got great people and brilliant ideas but you're going to have a bottleneck of talent these colleges are going to be your pools but you you owe it to the colleges you 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 owe it to yourself it should be a selfish thing because you need that talent so if you put that book out people are going to start learning from that and then now you have a talent pipeline yeah, that it, it's a great progression. I'll have to start working on the book, but we are working on on the college-based talent pipeline. Uh, we're discussing with some of the schools as to how we can incorporate uh, our software and our methods into their curriculum to to help drive that pipeline. Oh, really? So that, that's that is, amazing. That's an avenue we're we're looking at for sure. But the the book thing will take me a little bit more time, I, I imagine. <laughs> so, do you guys design? Like in that, I'm just curious, uh, there's been a couple companies I've been watching that have been exploding with, they'll go into the colleges and they will be the tech, the content generator for the programming courses. So uh, Florida State University wants to offer programming instead of them hiring cor- uh, professors for to, to create the content, they'll hire this company, let, like white label it. And they, I've seen them grow from like, I've seen two of them specifically go from like 10 people to a thousand people in the past three years. Yeah. So we're not on the content creation side, at least not today. Yeah. Uh, but we do, we do consume the tools we have enable content creation typically by our customer base. And so they can create visions and views for how these architectures all work to connect the dots between strategy through the process capabilities, et cetera. And in the curriculum, of course, we could help uh, seed some of the content for the courses as we look to grow that talent pipeline, as you described it. Uh, but we're not today in the content business. Uh, there, that's an avenue, of course, we are we're looking at because there are different industry-specific views and standard approach that support this work. Um, but today, we kind of integrate with them and, and leverage existing content. Oh, that's fine. Yeah. Because if you can get like the 80% of the base laid and then just teach them some of the 20% that makes you guys unique about how you think a little bit differently, then that's a win, right? Is that what we're going for? Yeah, it's a little more than that, but but that's on on the general page, yeah. Nice, nice. How does your team look? Do you have direct, do you have like a team or do you, um, how does it look? Yeah, I have a small team. So uh, Chief Strategy Officer, I've got Product Marketing Team, which is a group of uh, two to three individuals. We're, we're kind of in between right now, so I've, I've lost one and I'm, I'm hiring. So I'm at the two, getting back to the three. And we liaise closely with the Product Ownership Team. So those are the individuals that are directly responsible and accountable for the feature functionality of each of the different product sets on our platform. And so that team uh, is somewhere around 10 today. And so we work very closely together. Uh, and then uh, I'm also part of the board, and so we help have the dialogue and the conversation there. So those are kind of the main avenues. Uh, as product marketing and strategy, I'm also a general kind of resource for many aspects of the business. So if you've got a certain um, strategic sale that's going on and they, they need to have a certain angle or vision represented, they need to ensure that the product's got a certain coverage, then I'll play a role in that as well. 
Yeah, and you guys have your, like you mentioned, you have your own software that helps deal with all of this. So you're not, you're sharing in the struggle. Like you understand exactly what other software producing companies are. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're going through a transformation ourselves. We, we, we have the same uh, challenges to work to address. So, you know, the move to agile, the, the dealing with the customers, the usefulness, all of what you described. We have all of those same uh, challenges to face. It's a different mentality, especially Mega's been around for a long time. We founded in 1991. Oh, wow. Some of the technology was originally written even with a previous company going back to 86. And so the, the shift from individuals who maybe, uh, had, maybe they're not still around, but, but the mentality is still around of some of where they came from and that transition to agility, it's, uh, it's definitely a contrast. It's, it's a big contrast. So, yeah, we, we come from a position where we understand what the customers are going through. The big difference between MAGA and most of our customers is scale. I'm not a Fortune 1000, and many of our customers are even Fortune 100. So, you know, we're a bit smaller than that, but it's still, we understand what they're facing, and we work with them regularly to help address these concerns at a small and scaled level. So it's wild. It's really a wild time. You've been at MAGA for quite a while. I have. I started Mega in early 2001, so I'm fast approaching 18 years, and I've held pretty much every kind of department I've been involved in in some capacity. So start out in uh, consulting and, and advising and actually interacting directly with the customers full time. Uh, move in to cover that, but also covered and managed technical support. So to take the uh, customer-focused experience I had and, and really apply it to helping support uh, where customers face different challenges. Uh, for a short duration, I even was was developing some of the functionality with the lab. That was when I was really started because out of school, I'm a software developer. So I have mm-hmm. the development background. Uh, let me see. From there, I covered into pre-sales and owned and managed that for a while. Uh, expanded on the pre-sales to eventually run the U.S. operations, which included managing sales. Now I'm in the strategy and covering marketing. So I've had some exposure to the lab to sales, to consulting, to tech support, to, to management, to board, et cetera. So it's, it's, a, it's been an interesting nearly 18 years. It's been really wild. I've, that's amazing. I've got to ask. All right, so now that we're going through this scaling sales, right? Any advice you have for me? On sales? Yeah, so I, yeah, for, we have to scale sales. Like we just closed our first funding round like this week and we are now scaling our sales beyond just me calling people and, and selling them leader bits. Um, so my, my generic thing on sales would be twofold. Of course, first, you've got to make sure you've got the right marketing awareness and visibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, that will just help sales. The second is, and this is going to sound like IT's problem as well, sales is about talent and talent management. And you've got to respect, and a lot of people don't, the businesses I've come across, they, they all sales is kind of thing anybody can do. Not true. Sales is a true talent, and if you find talent sales and you nurture talented sales, then you can grow sales. But if you don't recognize that it's a genuine talent and skill, then you'll struggle. You'll hire bodies who won't execute. And so it's more than numbers. It's about context. It's about feeling. I know that sounds bizarre. No, it doesn't. Sales is really about reading that customer and getting it. So for me, that's the advice I would give. I've seen management shift away from sales recognition of a skill and toward, and every time they recognize it as a skill, sales grows and expands and scales quite well. And uh, that's really where you need to be. Uh, 100%. So I had no sales background. Um, I, I can, I'm passionate about what I do, but that's not sales. Sales, like there's like a process to it, which I've 
which I've recently learned. Um, well, it's like to some degree. So I started, you know, when we started this, I, I realized for me to prove that it worked, my engineering side for it to prove the model, I'm going to have to make a sale and there's no one else around to make a sale but me. So I literally Googled and like found Brian Tracy sales courses. Have you ever heard of this guy? I don't know him, but we do have a sales trainer we leverage too. And, and after the podcast, I can share his info. He's pretty great. Oh, please do. So this guy's like from the 70s. So all his videos are like, bah, 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 like you would watch him on like VHS. <laughs> <laughs> but he was like, he had said a couple key sentences that like where I knew I would like enjoy him as a human. And so I started listening to the stuff he said. And a lot of the stuff he was saying was like connecting value and all, he was saying good things. Um, and so I, I started listening to him some more. And then working working the sales process like that, but what I realized is you're one. It's it's very much like engineering or or anything where there's you if you you are responsible as the leader to be able to identify those high high quality or hyper quality whatever people, the people that have that difference, the just that little bit of of I don't know what it is, but it's what you were describing earlier. And it's 100% a talent. You could get a developer that could produce X features per hour, technically correct against whatever specification. Yeah, yeah. But then there's that developer that just sees what the others don't see, that just makes that one calculated move that puts you over the top and improves. Um, and so, yeah, it's always about the people, right? It's about the people. The other thing I would mention, and you use the word process, that sales is a nonlinear process. If you treat it as a linear process, you get bottlenecked and stuck where you don't belong. It's really event-driven. So you've got certain aspects which should prompt reaction or anticipatory action from your side, but don't go through a series of checkboxes to try and complete a sale. You want to really deliver and respond to what the customers are looking for, which sounds to be already your model. So I've got no red flags from this dialogue. Um, being useful is one of those key pieces. If you take that useful premise and apply it to sales, you'll be in the right place to just get ahead of the conversation. But some organizations say, oh, at this point in the process, I'm supposed to send you this, you know, flyer. And the, the customer might say, but I don't, I don't want, I don't want the flyer. No, but the process says that's next. You know, so stay away from the linear process kind of approach and, and don't be so literal. It's more event reacting to customer needs, giving them what they not want, build the, the trusted relationship and recognize the talent. And then you'll, you'll be great. Yeah, it's like someone having someone come to dinner and telling you what order to eat your food. It's like, that's insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I found out it didn't work because like I read some article and they're like, oh, you got to have this pipeline and go through stages. And so I, I built this pipeline and I put, I put people where I think they would be. I realized, no, there's... It, it's there. It doesn't work like that. It's not like first appointment, second appointment, close. Like it's like there are people and they have varying level of interest and everybody's moving on their own speed and you really, everyone sees your product slightly different. So you, you just have to really figure out, first of all, if you're even valuable to them to continue the conversation and it's okay to be like, we're just not valuable to them. Right. And just move on. And yeah, it's just, it's what it really is though, is it's like human relationships. It's like dating. Like you can't just walk in and say, I buy you a drink. <laughs> we, we have a we, we laugh and then you can fill in the blank. Well, <laughs> you have to just, I guess in the most human, human uh, way, you have to go with the flow. You have to just feel it out and everyone's different. Like every, everyone's unique. Exactly. You got to learn. Yeah. It's always about learning new experiences. Yeah. So next time, I really like you. Next time I'm uh, up in your area, how far are you from Boston? 
Uh, depends on the, the traffic and the time of day. It's about 45 minutes with no oh. traffic. And it's not far. I mean, not I can get far. to Boston easy. Yeah. So next time I'm in town, because I, I have a lot of uh, friends from the podcast and everything in, in the Boston area. Next time I'm around there, I'm going to uh, stop by, say hello to you, or reach out to you before, I, before my travels. And Perfect. Maybe come by the office and just say what's up. I would love to see it. Cool. People want to find out more about you, LinkedIn, email. How, what's your preferred method of contact? Uh, either one, LinkedIn or email is fine. And so uh, email is dheb.mega.com. You can also go to the website, www.mega.com. And uh, you can look up my name, Daniel Hebda on LinkedIn and uh, get me from there. Nice. And do you prefer Daniel or Dan? Uh, conversationally Dan, but all the written is, is under Daniel. Okay, cool. Yeah. I always ask people for the intro and everything, what they like, man, this is awesome. I really enjoyed this. Did you have a good time? Oh, it's fantastic. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you so much. And then we'll have Jake will loop back in. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to help, please take a moment right now to open up the iTunes app and leave a review of the podcast. If you take a screenshot of the review and text it or email it to a friend who needs to listen to the podcast and then CC me, joel at moderncto.io. If you CC me on the email, I'll send you a copy of the Modern CTO book or give you a shout out on the podcast, whichever you prefer. We're trying to get listed on the top 100 for iTunes and I need your help in order to do this.